Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and... Oh, we just play the sound effect already. Me! All, all I know is that our taste is impeccable. 100% of the time. Yes, even when we disagree. <laughs> my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film. With me, as always, is my uh, far more talented co-host, William. Please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap. I write for Slash Film. I write for Film Verdict. And everybody calls me Bibs. With that, with that, that sort of it's time consuming, but it's worth it. Yeah. Bit, yeah. yeah. What, what are we talking about this week, William? Uh, this week we are reviewing the new releases, Strays. It's a dog film. It's about dogs. Uh, Blue Beetle. It's an insect it's about film. A, it's about a bug. Uh, Shin Mast Rider, which is also an insect film, and <laughs> uh, and Bad Things, which I believe is about a hovercraft of some kind. Oh golly, no! Oh dear. No, it's a uh, it, it it's a trans spin on The Shining, and we'll get to that what? in a second. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, looking forward to that. Uh, we we we'll, let's review these films. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we we all, we weren't even sure if we were going to be recording today because we oh, were supposed uh, to have a the, well, we had a, we had a huge tropical storm here in L.A. Yeah, and, uh, it's it's late August of 2023 as we record this, and uh, yeah, there was a big scare that a tropical storm was going to hit like. No, Right into Los Angeles. Well, it hit, but it, it, it ended uh, up veering it, off a little bit. Landfall, it, it hit like Palm Springs. It went up like through uh, Tijuana mm-hmm. and, and San Diego. And we got a lot it, of it hit rainfall. Baja, California. We got a lot of rainfall. Mm-hmm. There's Dodger Stadium is flooded. Like there's there mm-hmm. were consequences, but it wasn't quite the epic disaster it was we down, feared. Downgraded so. to a tropical storm. It was a hurricane yeah. at first. Yeah, uh, hit and other places uh, really bad. We got lucky. It's my point. yeah. We we spent the day indoors just in case, and yeah, uh, yeah we weren't sure if we were going to record, but. It, yeah. The the clouds have cleared. The, the I, I saw stars tonight. The earthquake was a hell of a choice. Uh, th- at the same time, everybody's yeah. indoors trying to hide from a hurricane, and then, yeah. then an earthquake hits. So. Yeah, rough day, rough day. But uh, maybe these films mm. will make us feel better. Whitney, what do you mm. want to start with? I, I suppose we'll start with the superhero flick. There's um, a super. Well, which yeah. one? Oh yeah, I guess there's there's, there's... also uh, Shin Kamen Rider. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Beats. Yeah. Uh, Blue Blue Beetle came out. It's just the 14th and penultimate film of this particular DC superhero continuity. Or possibly the first film of a new DC superhero continuity. Uh, here's the most I don't important, care Yeah, anymore. I was about to say, here's the important thing. I don't fucking care. Yeah. Um, we, we are far too deep to for anything really novel to happen in this genre anymore we've we've played it all out it's yeah been 15 years or so I, that, that's a, that's a lie but it does feel like it, it does feel like well-worn territory uh, yeah uh yeah. It, it, at the very least they're not really trying to do much new with blue beetle uh, it is pretty off the rack boringly standard superhero <laughs> origin story stuff. Okay, well, Whitney didn't like it as much as I did. No. Uh, Blue Beetle is a feature film based on the third version of a superhero who's been around since, like, the late 30s, early 40s. Uh, he started off as a hero. Uh, his name was Dan Garrett, and he had kind of weird powers based on drugs, maybe? I'm really hazy um, on the original version. He got rebooted in the 60s, and then he had a magic scarab which gave him superpowers. Yeah. And then that version of the Blue Beetle passed on the mantle to a guy named Ted Cord. Ted Cord had the Scarab, but the Scarab didn't work for him, so he became kind of a version of Batman, a millionaire with a lot of gadgets, 
Uh, he was part of an alternate uh, superhero universe, not part of the DC mm-hmm. universe proper, uh, mm-hmm. called Charlton, if memory serves. Um, Ooh, um, it was, they called it a special vitamin that uh, the original Blue Beetle took mm. that, that gave him his superpowers. He took, he, he essentially w- took speed. Yeah, he took speed. Yeah, um, took, took a little pill and yeah. he got superpowers from it. Anyway, Ted Cord was a really fun character. He was in the Justice League International for a while. Uh, when Alan Moore uh, and Dave Gibbon did um, uh, Watchmen, Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, Alan Moore originally wanted to use the existing characters in the Charlton universe, and he was told he couldn't do that. So okay. he just pretended... He just added, like, a different name. So the Blue Beetle became the Night Owl. The Question became Rorschach. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was very thinly veiled. So, in a way, we've kind of had a Blue Beetle movie, but it was called The Night Owl and it was in The Watchmen. Mm. In any case, uh, the latest version of Blue Beetle was introduced uh, about 15 years ago. There a more than 15 it's years like ago early now. 2000s. I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, he's a guy named Jaime Reyes, uh, and he got the scarab. The scarab actually works for him. And it turns out it's not magic, it is sci-fi technology from outer space, mm. and it chooses who it works with, not unlike Venom. Or, or the Green Lantern ring. Uh, there's yeah. there's a lot of uh, Venom parallels, because yeah. the the Scarab, yeah, it, it looks like the thing from Kronos. And in, yeah. the, in fact, there's, there's actually a shot there's from There's a shot from Kronos, uh, one of the characters is watching TV, and you see uh, a... Very brief shot of Guillermo del Toro's Kronos on a TV screen. Yeah. Which um, I recognized immediately, and I was like, yay! I, I even said, hey, Kronos. Yeah. And yeah, so it looks like the thing from Kronos. Uh, it's been in. It's being used by this evil corporation called the Cord Corporation, mm-hmm. who's being run by Susan Sarandon, who could not care less to be in this movie. She's just generically uh, evil, and yeah. that's fine. And uh, it. It's snuck out of the building, this little thing that's providing power for these uh, soldier robot suits that she's trying to build. They're called OMAX. It's from the mm. comics. It stands for the One Man Army Corps. And it's basically yeah. everyone gets their own cool Iron Man suit that kind of like retracts into your body and shit. And, 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 and it's like a death machine. It's covered with guns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's snuck out by uh, one of the... She's the daughter of like the company founder. She's, and is she's like, Ted Cord's daughter. Ted Cord's yeah. Ted so Cord founded the, con- the the company. Ted Cord mm. in this film, we don't see him. He's gone missing years yeah. prior. His sister Susan Sarandon, she's running the company. She's doing the thing that everyone in movies does, trying to create super soldiers. Mm. I, at what point are we going to admit that that just does that's just a bad idea? Yeah, and she's played by a Brazilian actress named Bruna Marquezine, um, yeah. who I was not familiar with. Yeah, she's dazzling here. She's like I, I wish they gave her like more to do. When they introduce her, she's, like, posing for Vogue. Like, they have her in this, like, power suit, and she's, like, leaning forward on this couch. Um, and by, I mean, um, power suit is in an actual power suit, not, like, a, no, like, not a, like a robot like a, like a, suit. Like a fashion uh, yeah. choice. Uh, meanwhile, Sholo um, uh, Mariduena plays Jaime Reyes. He is returning home to a fictional city in Mexico. Mm. No, um, it's, it's, I think it's in America, because they're Mexican immigrants. Oh, I think, it's, it's, I, th- I think they're in the Florida Keys. I think is what oh, okay. they said. Yeah. Uh, well, he's returning home yeah. uh, after attending college. He's graduated. Uh, he meets his family. His family is uh, very energetic and colorful, and play mm. a major part in this movie. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Alberto, played by Damian Alcazar. That's Jamie's dad. Or, yeah. uh, he's very have, kindly, very nice guy. We have yeah. um, his mom is played by uh, Elpidia Carrillo. Uh, uh, I-, I loved. Uh, Jaime's little sister, um, 
Oh, um, let me let me look up her name because I, I I just really love that actress. Yeah, hold on. They're, oh, why are these listed in order? That's so annoying. Um, mm. uh, Belissa Escobedo as well, Milagro. Yeah, she was really great. She's great. She's just, scenes, you know, steals good, a lot good, of scenes. Good sassy teenager yeah. character. George Lopez plays his uh, mm. his uncle Rudy, mm. uh, and. Um, and then he also has a Nana as well, who mm. has, uh, it, it, at first seems a little yeah. out of it, but actually is uh, is mm. quite good with a Gatling gun, we'll find out. Yeah, and, they're, and they're all, they're in financial dire straits, he mm. needs a job, he gets fired from one quickly, decides to take a job at, at Cord, and that's when uh, he gets the scarab handed to him. It's like, you need to sink this out of the building, he doesn't yeah. know what it is, big mystery. Yeah. He takes it home, and it uh, they open up the box, it attaches itself to his spine, yeah. and is like Venom, it's like this sentient piece of technology that sort of lives in in concert with his brain and a suit grows around his body it's the blue i guess you could call it the blue beetle suit he it's, never calls it, himself the blue, blue beetle beetly. i mean the like, movie like calls most, him blue beetle. like what most of the superhero movies recently that's kind of embarrassed to call the character by their superhero name wonder woman never says i'm wonder woman superman mm. never says i'm superman uh, not maybe not Man of Steel. Yeah. Like later on, I think. I think only Batman bad. says I am Batman, but everybody else yeah, like the confidence. Like they don't really well, Batman want to associate with the name. Batman isn't like slinking in the shadows or anything like that, trying to act as some kind of urban legend. He just confidently comes in and says, "Hi, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Hello. Let me just sign that." There is Bruce, okay. Bruce Batman. I mean, uh, uh, mm. Aloysius Batman. <laughs> That's my name. Anyway, Jaime, uh, Jaime gets this suit. The suit has a mind of its own. Uh, the suit can create any weapon it wants. And he gets all up in Cord Industries business. And they want to take the Scarab from him. And he wants to not have the Scarab taken from him. And he's roped into superhero shenanigans. And in a, in a slight uh, uh, alteration from the norm. Because let's be honest here. Uh, with the exception of you know the, the specific characters in the framework. Which I think adds a lot to this film that other superhero movies don't have. Uh, you know, wonderful ensemble cast, everyone's deeply involved, uh, you know, dealing with issues involving, you know, actual, like, people on the lower end of the financial spectrum, uh, people who are dealing with issues uh, involving mm. immigration, and these are things that most superhero movies actively ignore as mm. a part of our reality. Um, but uh, for the most part, we've got evil corporation in a giant tower building super soldiers. Hero gets a big weapon. Can he handle the big weapon? Yes, he can handle the big weapon. He'll fight a guy. Mm. Is he going to decide if he's the hyperhero who kills or not? These are pretty familiar elements. But one thing I did think was cute was instead of the plot point where a member of his family gets kidnapped and he has to storm the castle in order to save them, he gets kidnapped. <laughs> And the family has to yeah, which, get get in the bugmobile. Yeah, which, which is probably uh, the cleverest, you know, sort of although, uh, twist in the film. Con the movie is so impatient that yeah. it doesn't bother to establish that they have like what the bugmobile is. Yeah, they just they go to the old Blue Beetles. Bat cave, the beetle yeah. cave. Yeah, and there's just suits there. Oh, and then my dad was a superhero. Oh yeah, I thought he was really great. And then later in the movie, they cut back to that cave and they just sort of have this gigantic, like mechanical marvel. Yeah, it's like. Well, why should I be astonished that Jaime has these superpowers if they have something even more astonishing in a well, garage somewhere? One could uh, make the argument about what's more astonishing. Certainly the, the, the big bad Beetleborg is big. It's, and there's it's, certainly yeah. something to be said for that. I, I'd say that they could like stage a rescue and do just as much heroic stuff as Jaime could do with that suit well, that he which wears. Which is fine, actually. Yeah. I don't think I don't think, you know, a superhero movie needs to be defined by how 
special the superhero is. I, I, I suppose part not, of a, but if, a tapestry, you know. I, I know, but if the 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 superhero is only one part of a broad tapestry, it makes that one hero seem a little less awe-inspiring when you're watching his story specifically. Do you feel that way about non-superpowered characters? It's like, hey, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Robert people. Redford in Three Days of the Condor is just a guy. What the <laughs> shit? Why uh, am I watching that asshole? Okay. Most movies aren't about extraordinary human superhumans. <laughs> well, okay, but here's the deal. There's there's multiple ways to approach a story about superhumans. Mm-hmm. One, look at how goddamn special I am. Aren't I the most special person in the mm-hmm. world? The other one is, oh, I'm a normal person who happens to mm-hmm. have, have this aspect have of my life. Have specialness Parker, thrust upon me. Well, yeah. specialness thrust upon them, perhaps. Oh. But that doesn't mean they're a unique snowflake. You know, like, there's actually, like... I, I one thing I like the, about this well, movie. The, I yeah. like about this one thing I like about this movie. I distinctly uh. like about this movie is that Jamirez is you know his story. They did something I really really like within a lot of genre fiction, wherein the the protagonist has a story I would have liked to have watched mm. before the genre stuff happened. Like I, when he comes home yeah. from college, swimming in student loan debt, and he's he was a pre law. He thinks his his life is gonna be great. Uh, and the family's just like, yeah, we didn't know how to tell you this, but um, your dad's business has failed. We're about to lose the house, and he had a heart attack. Mm. And I half expected it to go to that part in the Robin Hood Men in Tights, where it's like your dog killed the cat, mm. and the cat ate the goldfish, and the goldfish... <laughs> no, the goldfish choked on the cat. Whatever. The, the cat choked on the goldfish. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that all wrong. But the point is, is that it's comically bad hmm. how everything is, is when he cuts home. And so he's trying to do everything he can to provide for his family. He loves his family. He cares for his family. And in a very... almost the castle sort of way, if you've ever seen that wonderful hmm. uh, Australian comedy from the 90s, um, I think they did something really, really smart here. I think they made that family... A family that we like and are interested in, regardless of all the superhero shenanigans. Yeah, well, it, and I, I wanted to follow their adventures, and I enjoyed knowing that the adventures made room for them. That it wasn't all about just this one kid who chanced upon superpowers. Mm-hmm. It was about finding, you know, within this family, a family that people maybe weren't assuming uh, would be doing great things the capacity for greatness that it turns out was always there. They just never had an opportunity to show it. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was that was really, really sweet. And so even though the story is, is very formulaic in oh, a lot yeah. of ways, I actually ended up getting roped into it because I think the formula, you know, we, we can get bored with it just because it is familiar. Mm. But a formula still works. <laughs> Period. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fine... Yeah. But it's a formula because yeah. it works. I think I think sometimes when we get bored of a formula, it is simply a matter of how many times we've seen it lately. Mm. Whereas if we hadn't seen this in ten years, we might go, "Oh, it's nice to get back to that." So I, I think that's I a little rude so, to just write it off because of that. I suppose so, but you know what we have had plenty of in the last ten years uh-huh. is this story. Uh-huh. Um, we're at a and this is the fourteenth film in a series that has actually repeated this story multiple times. Mm. Uh, Saying that, you know, trying to remove it 10 years from the end no. of the superhero genre, I think, is, is uh, may, maybe being a little too generous. Maybe, uh, but I also think that we're we're getting so wrapped up in the fact that the plot is familiar that we're missing the fact that the plot is a delivery system for something that is different and special, yeah, well, which what, is a superhero like, told story told yeah. from this perspective. I, I, would have, uh, I would have liked more time with the family and, quite frankly, less time with, with Jaime. Um, Specifically Jaime. 
I, I think I think he's an underwritten character. He's just sort of like a. I, I liken to him to a, a Dickens protagonist. You know, or oh, Di- what a Dickens. what a nightmare! <laughs> well, Dickens protagonists aren't interesting characters. They're surrounded by a lot of interesting characters, but they themselves don't have a lot of personality. Uh-huh. Uh, so what Di- you're saying I think is Dickens it's as, would agree with me. So what um, you're saying is it's as good as a Dickens novel. Yes, it's as good as a Dickens. It's Bleak House all over again. Um, uh, blue, so if, blue, blue bleakle. So if if it was like just the the family doing the investigation like and Jaime would sort of like drop into their lives occasionally oh my god I'm in a suit I just cut a bus and have ah and he's gone and we don't see him for twenty that, minutes that is part of that, it actually. that would have been a big that would have been a lot more fun way to tell the story uh, mm. something I do like about the movie is all of sort of the Mexican detail mm. um, they drop like we already mentioned there's a clip from a Guillermo del Toro movie yeah. they mention that uh, Jaime is is really attracted to this very rich woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny Cord, and they compare him to characters from the telenovelas they've been watching. Yeah. And there are a lot of very similar telenovelas that they, they name check. About someone falling um, for someone who is much richer. There, yeah. There's a really funny bit where uh, Uncle Rudy hacks into like the security system because he he, he's sort of like uh, uh, he's like Jenny in, in or uh, whatever mm. the niece's name in Penny Inspector, from Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget. Penny, yeah. yeah. Um, he's just capable of at everything and just has yeah. whatever gadgets the plot needs. That's mm-hmm. really kind of annoying. But uh, yeah. at one point, he hacks into the security system of the building and pipes in a TV signal, and it happens to be El Chapulín Colorado, uh, which. If you know what that is, you probably have watched Mexican television. Uh, it's you probably it's a superhero spoof from the seventies. The guy mm. in the red suit with the heart uh, yeah. that's a ch on his chest. Um, little details like that. I, I appreciated that, and uh, there was things that uh, people in the audience I was watching it with recognized that I didn't because I could tell by the the reaction. <laughs> There's a bit where uh, Jaime is knocked out, yeah. and to wake him up, his nana holds a, a little jar of Vicks VapoRub yeah. under his nose, and everybody cheered in the theater at that moment. So clearly this is uh, a well-known home remedy that I was not familiar with. I just um, like that because I feel like every time in a movie uh-huh. when someone faints, someone always has smelling salts. Yeah, to put like, under their those nose. glass yeah. like jars that and crack like, them open. I've never known anyone who owned that. Who has that? Has smelling a, salts in the house. That, that, that I don't know. I've never seen that for sale anywhere. I'm sure you can get it. I think you like, get it at like a drugstore. Probably, yeah. but I don't even know what section it would be in. Like, I'm just saying, it's something you see in a movie all the time, and you kind of take it for granted. And if someone actually fainted in my house, I would be like, I don't know, fix vapor up. <laughs> Probably would do it. I don't know. <laughs> like, huh. see, they always make those jokes about like you know coffee commercials and how like you wake up to the fresh smelling coffee. Vicks Vapor Rub will do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, make yourself a hot pot uh, of that. Do, have you ever used Vicks Vapor Rub? Of course. Okay. That's. Uh, I, I. I'm not sure how common it is anymore. It seems like one of those grandma remedies. Mm, it's not real. Yeah, same same with like mothballs. You don't hear people talking about keeping mothballs. People still in the use mothballs. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, because moths are still moths a are thing. still a thing. Yeah. Maybe clothes have changed. I don't know. They, they have moth not. No moths. Moths, are, but... moths still suck. Yeah, I'll, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and and you know if they kill if you kill them they turn into dust. <laughs> there's no like body parts anymore. They're just made of sand. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, there's this villain in Blue Beetle uh, who's like hmm. been. Uh, enhanced it, it, another something i appreciated is the villain is said to be 
and and Susan Sarandon says this in dialogue. Uh, he's a a proud graduate of the School of the Americas. Mm. Uh, look up what that is. Yeah, and what a shameful history uh, chapter in American history that was. I appreciate um, just how like because Victoria Cords just kind of like I'm gonna make a super soldier army whatever. Mm. But like the underlying like what really makes her evil and not just a cliche. She's super casually racist. Yeah. Like, just yeah. really super racist, like, all the time. In a way that you can tell she doesn't even think about. And there's something about that that's just... We we all know people who are like that. And yet there are so many movies where, like, even the villains aren't racist. Like, no, the, the, that's, a, that's a good villain to have in a movie, I think. Hmm. Someone who's racist. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should be vilifying that more. <laughs> I use vilify correct, right? Vilify. That, that, make, that, make a villain of... Yes, okay, I'm not right. crazy. I'm just, I'm just silly. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I Listen, I, I like it. I think it is... In, in some respects, unremarkable. In some respects, mm. remarkable. And I think it kind of balances out to a pretty good superhero movie. Mm. And I think what boils down to is, does, do the characters elevate that a bit and i think they do and i think it's a little unfortunate that they couldn't come up with something more clever plot wise maybe they thought that by relying on formula the fact that they have this big ensemble cast they could just pop more Mm. and not get like swept up in all the happenings yeah yeah. rather than just being able to like be their characters Mm. um and Uh, i think there's a give and take with that i suppose so uh it's been a long time that uh we've been living with these superhero movies and we've seen these kinds of origin stories a lot. And uh, you might note, uh, now, now that now that we're done... Uh, <laughs> yes. No more. No more. There's, yeah, there's Oppenheimer killed it. Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing... They're all going to be biopics from the 40s. That's what's hot now. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know what? G- give me the Ema Sumac documentary. I'll see, I'll see, or the biopic. I'll see yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, Something has sort of arisen where uh, if you sort of take any one of these individual films out of their greater sort of super narrative context, you'll find that they actually have a lot of weaknesses in terms of the story they tell. And I think the reason a lot of people were willing to give a lot of these movies a pass was because they knew that it was pointing in a certain direction that we'd see yeah. those characters again all their, building their story yeah. would conclude in a different film this and, is merely uh, the first chapter yeah, and so, we can forgive the first chapter yeah so yeah. Pe- people were kind of it's they're single episodes in a tv series and i think yeah. a lot of people were willing willing to f- be a lot more forgiving of a certain movie's smaller flaws because they knew it would be part of a larger story mm-hmm. um I, I was really fascinated to watch uh, Shazam, Blue Beetle, and there's also another Aquaman film coming, mm-hmm. knowing that the series had a a death ahead mm-hmm. of it. It was going to die. It's going to end really soon. You were not fascinated to see this in the Flash. Yeah, there's yeah. Know, what 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 are these things setting up? Oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, because this continuity is going to end, and they're going to start it new in a couple of years. Well, uh, and. Mm. Shazam and The Flash and Blue Beetle, I think, might have been forgiven if they had maybe come earlier or they were better about setting up something that the studio had already announced. And without that, all we have are kind of weak movies. Blue Beetle is colorful and exciting to watch in that completely yeah, average kind of way. And that it way. is very bright blue. There's a yeah, lot of like... There's blue, a, there's blues, a good blues and purples, yeah. yeah. I like the retro way of scoring, yeah. too. I like that a lot. Um, here's here, I see your point, but here's here's what I'm going to say about that, because I think... 
I think the Marvel's ability to to successfully do that hmm. for over ten years, and I think that's starting to to, to wane a little bit. But they're get, <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're getting less immediate like just stock. I, I think I, I saw I heard a stat recently about just like the sheer number of hours yeah. in each one of the the so called phases of the the Marvel series, mm-hmm. and how the most recent phase has like. It was like more than four times the amount of actual like hours. Well, the TV then, makes yeah. that longer yeah, as yeah. well. But like, yeah. Um, but that there's just so much more of it. It's not well, fun anymore. I think you hit diminishing returns on that, and I think you realize that that comes with its downsides as well. You you know you might want to be forgiving. You might actually become more annoying after a while. And what I would like to think is that something like Blue Beetle might be satisfying in sort of an old-fashioned kind of way in more of a rocketeer kind of way Mm. in that there's formula here but the formula is part of the charm there are certain genres we come to over and over again in part for their familiarity and it's nice when they put a twist on that but it's i don't think that's necessarily required i think all that is required is for it to be a good one and i don't mind that blue beetle goes through some of the formulaic bits because the way that it did the formulaic bits mm. was often very new or at the very least very pleasing. I like the characters. I like the comedy. I like the action. Uh, I just thought it was a really, really fun watch. It is not one of the great superhero movies, but ironically, even though it is formulaic, I would actually put it in the upper echelon of the DC Extended Universe films. Because I think... I mean, low bar, but... It uh... is a low bar. I admit that it is a low bar. But I would put it up there with, you know... I I would say, like, Shazam and Wonder Woman and Birds of Prey are, like, ahead of it. But I would put this... Shazam is my favorite. Wonder Woman's fine. I I like it more than you do. I agree it falls apart a little bit at the end. Yeah, but... but That's really my major issue. And that sucks. It had an interesting theme that it didn't follow through with. No, no, I decided to, like, kind of backtrack on it at the last second, and that's annoying. But... What those films have, though, I think, is that even though they may take place in an interconnected universe, you know, the Batman is mentioned in some of them, that kind of thing, um, they they do just stand alone. They're their mm-hmm. own stories. They're not relying on interconnectivity the way that, like, Batman v Superman did, where it's like, we're desperately trying to build something here. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 we're just going to tell these characters' story, and if it's a little formulaic, okay, hopefully the characters will get us through. And I think what those movies have... Are, is good character work. I like Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman. I like mm. the Birds of Prey in Birds of Prey. I really like Shazam and his whole family mm. in the first Shazam movie. And I really like Jaime Reyes and his family in this one. And I don't necessarily care about seeing the plot followed through, but I wouldn't mind seeing them again. And I mm. think that's what I, when I was collecting comics more regularly was more interested in, in anything else. It wasn't so much, oh, I can't wait to see where this long-running plot is going. Occasionally it was compelling, but not usually. I just wanted to hang out with my friends again. I wanted to see what Spider-Man was up to this week. I wanted to hang out at the Avengers Clubhouse this week. And I get that vibe here. Okay. So that's why I think I like this one more than you do, because yeah, I'm maybe it's... approaching it and looking for something a little different. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's so. a... I, I just I, I grew weary of of the story, and uh, I, and I like the supporting cast more than I like the main hero. Which you know maybe maybe they could have I don't know done done something a little bit more interesting with him. Maybe made him yeah. a little bit more eccentric because his whole family is kind of like 
eccentric and fun. Yeah. You'd think coming from that family, he too would be eccentric and fun. He is. He's more he like is, a, he is, just a normal guy. Which, no, I, I will grant you that, actually. Maybe yeah. he should have been as eccentric as everyone else. Yeah. Like, that's like he's little... got his own weird quirks and, or yeah, so, what, something. Or his own weird quirk. Yeah, that's... Like, like, I'll grant you that. He's, he he's, comes across a little a little generic. I'll give you that. But and, he's still... He's such a handsome, likable uh, guy. I mean, like... Dazzlingly helps. handsome and yeah. charming. And, you know, c- commands the screen. He's not disappearing. Yeah. Just his character is underrated. Well, it also doesn't help that he spends a lot of it covered in like CGI. Yeah, I know they true. built it actually like this suit. He's actually wearing it a lot of the time. But like mm-hmm. you know, the the, the eyes the are faces, moving in a way yeah. that's clearly CGI enhanced. They, they see, yeah, they see, yeah. It, it it reminded me of the the Deadpool mask yeah. where it's like they. I think they CGI'd the eyes onto the Deadpool yeah. mask and they did the same thing with Blue Beetle. Yeah. Okay. So I liked it more than mm-hmm. you did. That's fair. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, why don't you tell me about the other superhero film? Because I'm very interested in uh, Shin Kamen Rider. Uh, yeah. Well, then America's released as Shin Masked Rider, which oh, is okay. how the original series was uh, released over here. Uh, there is a series of films from Japan uh, that have been sort of taking a lot of the more prominent, better known cultural icons. Uh, in Japan and of, sort of, of rebooting like, them, like to, long-running of, ones of Tokusatsu specifically, yeah. like so culture. We started with Shin Godzilla, which is again, I, you and I are doing a whole Godzilla podcast. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen a lot of them, but Shin Godzilla is easily one of the two or three best I've ever seen. Oh, it, it is great. Yeah, Shin Godzilla is great. It takes Godzilla like really. What if Godzilla really appeared today? What would that be mm-hmm. like? And it's very effective. Uh, and there was kind of this like almost I hesitate to say realist, but a refreshingly realistic sort oh. of approach to the kaiju genre, uh, right down to the hell of bureaucracy. Um, it's mostly what that movie's about. A lot of it. And um, it also helped that Godzilla was an animal in that one. It wasn't yeah, like didn't have a personality anymore. Mm. It was just a monster, um, and, and it's great. I love that movie. Uh, they and then the. They released it a while ago, but it only came out in America in early this year, in January, and we reviewed it then. Uh, Sheen Ultraman, which is based on a very long-running uh, tokusatsu TV series, which I was only passingly familiar with. Uh, but that movie is great. Uh, which, I loved the portion I saw. I can't review yeah. it, because I only saw about a third of it. Yeah. Like, just circumstances got in the way, and I wasn't able to finish it yet. But I, I adored everything I saw about it, and I do yeah. hope to go back, and I do hope to see... Shin Master Rider as well. Yeah, a, a big part of Shin Ultraman is that, uh, you know, and they, they, they kind of condense like a lot of the TV series into one movie, which could lead to something feeling kind of rushed and unsatisfying. But here, it leads to this kind of like existential hopelessness to it, whereas humanity interacts with like aliens as they keep coming in waves mm-hmm. over and over again, different ones with different agendas the characters become increasingly aware of just how small they are in the universe. <laughs> and it's like, it really does sort of reframe that entire genre in a really satisfying way. A little episodic, but in a way that actually elevates the material, I thought. Uh, and here we have a Sheen Mast Rider, uh, a.k.a. Cayman Rider. Um, this one I'm, I'm familiar with less than any of the others. Mm. Uh, Mast Rider is a, a series in the uh, sort of Power Rangers or Supida Man uh, mold. It was a live action series about a guy uh, in sort of like a, a motorcycle garb, but with like a grasshopper theme uh, and, uh, and a cool like uh, red scarf. And he had a super motorcycle. What, was it magical or just, did it just a person in a suit? Uh, no, uh, sci fi. Okay. Sci fi suit. Um, I, and again, I actually don't know how much 
of the original series is closely followed by this because I really never watched it. I'm just giving you the gist. And, you know, like a lot of those stories, they would fight one uh, interesting-looking mo uh, monster of the week mm. after another, beat up a whole bunch of guys. Um, again, this is the one I'm familiar with, the absolute least of the three. So I'm coming at this from that perspective. Maybe someone who was very familiar with Masked Rider or Cayman Rider, which has been around since the 70s, uh, will know what's up more than I do, and maybe they'll have different opinions or different well, uh, different uh, complaints. I, I do know that when Power Rangers first came to the United States, because yeah. uh, that was based on a Japanese show, they took a lot of yeah. the Japanese footage and they redubbed it, and then they yeah. uh, filmed some uh, American footage to cut in to make it look like the American yeah. characters were fighting in the Japanese footage. And that became um, kind of a kind of a that, motif that throughout became, the 90s. Quite a few shows yeah, tried to do that, yeah. And they tried to do that with Masked Rider. Well, uh, I was going to say, uh, they, they tried to take a, a bunch of other imports that weren't quite as big mm. uh, in the United States as the Power Rangers ever got. Yeah. But yeah, um, one, of, one of them was called VR Troopers, uh, yes. uh, which... Just look that one up yourself. I think and, we already uh, made a big bad Beetleborg joke. There, this, this yeah, there's a big bad Beetleborgs, and uh, yeah. was that a, a Japanese? I actually don't program? know, but it was part of uh, that wave. It was, it part was of that definitely wave. part of that wave. Um, and uh, and, they and tried... then there was Master Rider. Yeah, and Master Rider was apparently a tougher sell, partly because a lot of the episodes were a lot older, so the footage didn't match. Like it looks just like really just chopping it in with a much older, you know, visual aesthetic. Um, so it never quite caught caught on in America the way it did in Japan. So again, I'm less familiar with it, uh, but I can say that this movie kicks ass. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, Mass Rider is about a guy who uh, he was in a motorcycle accident. I think yeah, it was a motorcycle accident, and he was like rescued by like scientists from a secret organization, and they've been like splicing people's DNA with various animals. Oh. Uh, um Big Bad Be Beetleborgs is based on a okay. Japanese. I, I TV figured, series, but I didn't so want to go out on that limb. Um, Juko B Fighter or B Fighter Kabuto. Great. Anyway, our hero uh, has had his genes spliced with the grasshopper. He also has a super cool, like, uh, flying motorcycle and a really cool helmet and uh, that does cool things. And. Um, yeah, he's told, hey, yeah, there's. The, I'm a scientist, I, I made you a grasshopper guy, sorry about that. Uh, but here's the deal, uh, I actually made a whole bunch of other, like, monster guys, and they're trying to destroy the world, and you're the only one who's good, so I need <laughs> you to please kill them. It's, it's a little Mega Man. Uh, and, um, yeah, and, and much like Sheen Ultraman, there's a certain episodic structure uh, to the film. Turns out there's, like, I think I lost count, there's, like, four or five uh, Animal-themed bad guys. There's a, a spider, a scorpion, a couple of the ones that come as supposed to come as a surprise, a bat, um, and they all have their own scheme, and they're all working for this evil organization called Shocker. Except <laughs> Shocker is an anagram, uh, not an acronym, an acronym. Sorry, and I could not be bothered to write it down. Once once you hit more than four words in your acronym, I'm like, you just desperately. Uh -oh. Wanted that acronym. There's a I remember it, in uh, um, mm. uh, it was mm. uh, Team America. Oh yeah, they had intelligence. A, they, yeah, they had a computer name. It was an acronym, and it was spelled out intelligence. Uh, my and favorite, I never, uh, never my favorite, explained what that meant. My favorite one of those ever. And I'm actually going to look this up because it's the most ridiculous thing. Uh, but uh, Marvel Comics had quite a few acronym organizations. The, the Shield, Shield which had a couple of different meanings over the years. There was AIM, Advanced Idea Mechanics, uh, and then there was one evil organization uh, that was Ultimatum. 
It was an acronym called Ultimatum. It was an acronym called Ultimatum. And here's the acronym. And this is just, you desperately wanted it to be called Ultimatum. Underground liberated totally integrated mobile <laughs> army to unite mankind once you hit totally yeah. you just kind of lost it at that hi, point hi everyone you did not let's re- pitch in and get cracking here because you know someone pitched like listen we're the underground liberated mobile army to unite mankind well we can't just be called ultimatum like can we just add a few words in there make it cool oh for god's sake why is this important to you <laughs> jesus Anyway, but the, the so thing it's called that, Shocker in, in Shocker, but Shocker isn't in their eyes an evil organization. Okay, Shocker is an organization that is united to try to bring happiness to the world. They want to make the world a happier place. Their ideas for how to do that are incredibly evil. <laughs> okay, and all of the different like supervillains have their own distinct. You know, sort of ways. Some of them think killing is just fun, and won't that make people happy? Some of them believe that you know what's the problem that's preventing everyone from being happy? Free will. We okay. should do something about that. Oh, I've seen that in sci-fi yeah. movies all the time. Like yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know what uh, everyone feels better about surviving a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, well, whoever dies, okay, mm-hmm. that sucks. But everyone who's left will feel a lot better. And there's something just kind of nicely insidious about that. I thought that was a fun approach. Um, all the different animal creatures look pretty cool. Some look cooler mm-hmm. than others. They all mostly have these really cool helmets. Like, I just want all these helmets. They all look like really badass, but they all look very practical. Like, there really is just someone wearing them. Okay. Um... It has this uh, thing that a lot of these movies have where they're they're actually like... They're, it feels like they're trying to capture the action aesthetic of the original show. And because the original show was a relatively inexpensive television series, a lot of the action sequences take place in things like industrial districts and warehouses. Right, right. But they do the a pretty smart good... factories. And yeah. The... But they, they do a pretty good job of making that work. There's one really cool one where um, in order to, uh, to fight... Uh, the guy, they have to, like, fight entirely in the air. So they're constantly, like, jumping, like, 60 feet in the air, hmm. fighting a little bit. And then they have to land and run around. And like, <laughs> just, they, there's, there's so much... This movie has so much ingenuity in how it wants to present itself mm-hmm. that when I look at American superhero movies, I, I, I get a little sad. Like, just <laughs> so few American superhero movies feel inspired by the action anymore. Like, the mm-hmm. only, like... Like and Blue Beetle, maybe. Again, I'm not saying it's a great, it's a perfect movie, and I actually think the action is one of the things that's a little generic about that movie. But the characters is why I like that movie. Watching Kamen Rider, where the characters are, you know, maybe not quite as hmm. everyone. It, everyone's very self serious, and there's there's something to be said for that, but it leaves the movie feeling a little cold. Um, but there's more visual ingenuity to the actual superhero stuff, hmm. and I was thinking about this, like how many I've seen so many superhero movies over the last few years and like how many times in the last few years have I seen like an action sequence in a superhero movie where I was like oh that's cool they used that, their imagination in that. Yeah, that that was kind of neat the only one I can think of and it's a bad movie mm. that like really stood out to me was the magic music fight in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness where no, they would like pull, to, it, pull music off of a stanza and, and yeah, like fire it at each other and it would create music as it hits yeah, them a sheet of a music yeah. sheet yeah yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen that before. Hmm. Did it make any sense? 
No, I don't care. It was <laughs> neat. So much of the other shit is, and then we're going to kill a bunch of guys in slow motion. And, yeah, I, I feel like the, the Spider-Verse movies are good at that. They're like, Yeah. Because they're animated. You can do uh, Definitely be helps, a lot yeah. more creative. There's uh, in that last one, Across the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. they, uh, there's a fight with the Spot, who can yeah. make uh, okay. portals, and like fists are coming out of nowhere, and right. the, the venue's changing really quickly, because they can just teleport anywhere in the city, and they're, yeah, they're really creative about that kind no, of No, no, you're right, that's a really, really good example there, and that's something where they're actually attempting to bring ingenuity, and, and that's actually a good comparison. Master Rider is live-action, uh, it's clearly on a bit of a budget, uh, but... Regardless, the action is interesting and exciting. They do this, even though Master Rider, if memory serves, is a show that was relatively all ages. There's a bit at the beginning where uh, Master Rider it opens in the middle of a motorcycle chase, right. and um, Mass, uh, this this girl is about to be attacked by the spider guy, and Master <laughs> Rider shows up and he's like, oh, "I'm gonna stop you," and he punches all of like the guy's minions and every time he punches them their faces splatter oh gosh <laughs> just blood everywhere and the hero's kind of horrified like he doesn't know how he's doing this and he doesn't want to be a killer and it's really fucked up um, and it's just, but it's very Verhoeven-esque in terms of just how the blood works in this movie and I hmm. always appreciate that um I, I suspect that if you're familiar with Cayman Rider, there's going to be elements of this plot because there are certain like characters who show up. There's a bit at the end where two characters, someone says, hey, what are your names anyway? And they say their names and I'm like, I'm supposed to know what that means. I know <laughs> I'm so, that's supposed to be like at the end of the Dark Knight when you they says, oh, and there's a guy who did some did a crime over here and he left a playing card behind and it's a joker. And we're all going, ah. Or like in Oppenheimer where there's like, oh yeah, and that senator's name was John F. Kennedy. And we're like, ha sequel. Like, it's the same plot point. It's the it's, same exact thing he did, but he did an Oppenheimer, which is hilarious. It, it, it's been made. There's a movie called JFK, so we know how that story ends. Okay, um, well, we skipped the bit in the middle, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everyone skips that bit. Like, we do the bit where he's actually present. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, but, 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 yeah, so, like, I feel like there are things, like, characters introduce plot points. I'd have a bit more, they'd have a bit more weight if I knew like what they were adapting and how they were mm. kind of condensing them. But I do know that what I saw was really exciting, extremely entertaining, and brought a lot more life and visual ingenuity into a genre. Like the plot doesn't work in the way a lot of the American superhero movies do. The characters are perhaps less interesting, though. So I would actually argue that this is a great double feature with Blue Beetle. This has all of the stuff that you were complaining about with Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. It's in Machine Master Rider. And the stuff that I really liked in Blue Beetle, it actually isn't in Machine Master Rider so much. And I think they kind of complement each other well. And you okay. can kind of see, like, here's... Because there's a lot of similarities. You know, evil organization wants to take over the world and stuff. Uh, the hero befriends... Um, and perhaps it's kind of... It's not really romantic, but it's very emotionally intimate uh, relationship with a woman who was a daughter of a guy who worked at that evil corporation. That's very similar to Blue Beetle as well. I'm sure it's mostly a coincidence, but unless the creators of the comic book character were influenced by Master Rider, which I suppose is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a great double feature. Uh, this actually came out a couple of weeks ago. Actually came out like earlier this summer, but we missed it. But it, it snuck onto Amazon Prime. So you can watch it now, and I recommend you do. I thought it was really, really cool. It's it may be, 
of the three of these Sheen movies I've seen, and there's also like one of the Neon Genesis movies is technically a Sheen movie, but I didn't see oh, that I'm one. Oh, no kidding. All right. Uh, and that's an anime film, but um, I for me, that's like the lowest... It's, it's like the le- I like Sheen Godzilla the best, I like Sheen Ultraman the second best, and I like Sheen Master Rider the third best, but it's still really good. Okay. So I definitely would recommend it. Um, on that note, I guess we'll list... Uh, and why don't you tell me about the film that you saw that I didn't see? Why don't tell me about okay. Bad Things? Um, okay. Uh, Bad Things uh, is, again, this is another one that uh, dropped on Shudder, and Shudder uh, is pretty good about uh, curating what they do, and uh, golly, this is a fascinating movie. Mm. Um, It's uh, four women are going to sort of an abandoned hotel. It's been shut down, and uh, one of them, who is the character Ruthie, Mm. uh, she's played by Gail Rankin. Uh, She has just inherited it from her... uh, her parents who have passed away and she's debating whether she wants to sell it and become you know, just sell it and become richer. If she wants to become a master, a master of the industry and be, actually continue to run this hotel. Mm. She's constantly looking at these little videos, like these Ted talks as to like how to be a better business person. Mm. And if you look closely, that's Molly Ringwald who's giving yeah. her these business, uh, business lectures. She's there with her girlfriend, Maddie, who is played by Hari Neff who I ah. just saw in Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a trans character, trans mm-hmm. actress. Mm-hmm. Completely incidental to the story. Okay. Love that. Uh, she's also there with another lesbian couple who, uh, Maddie, the Harry Neff character, used mm. to be in a polycule with. Oh. And who Ruthie had... After that polycule broke up and Hari Neff got with Ruthie, mm-hmm. uh, Ruthie went back and slept with one of them. And that did a great deal of damage to the relationship, so everything's really strained. All of these people are together. They're all exes. They're mm-hmm. all, like, sort of... There's still, like, some lust between them, but they also really hate each other, and there's a lot of just uh, this horrible damage. And naturally, as they begin wandering around this creepy, empty hotel, they begin seeing people who shouldn't be there. There's a weird thing. There's a a really great shot where uh, one of the characters goes into uh, the hotel's uh, sort of cafe, Mm -hmm. and there's a couple of people in there who we haven't seen before. And she's looking around, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think there was anybody here. And they turn around and kind of like smile, oh, they just look like regular people. And then a little girl lifts her hand off the table and she has no fingers. Oh. Uh, yeah, little creepy stuff like that. Do they um, ever find the fingers? I don't, they're on the table. She just leaves oh, them she on leaves, the table. Oh, yeah. that's cute. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen that before. That's fun. Uh, and uh, what, I, what I appreciate about this movie is rather than just having that sort of dour, blue-tinged, ultra- banging noise on the soundtrack kind of uh, conjuring style haunted house movies. Mm. Everything's really brightly lit. It's all kind of that drab neon lighting that you'll see in Mm. certain older hotels. This is not a posh hotel. It's actually kind of a little bit run down. I loved all of the little details. Like there's broken elevator buttons and nicks on the doorknobs. And they're clearly filming in uh, just sort of a location they found. But Mm. the filmmaker is really focusing on those things to give that hotel some personality. And there's a lot of long, wide shots of the hallways to the point where, yes, like in The Shining, you, you begin to think that the hotel is kind of an entity unto itself. 
Oh, it's like the hotel is a character in the movie. It, in the in the movie, and I, I feel like yeah. that's something that's missing from a lot of haunted movies. They focus yeah. on the ghost as a monster, and uh, yeah, and not necessarily the location. The, like the, the yeah, the location. Yeah. Like people died here, and it's a hotel. People die in hotels. It's I, they actually mention that it's really common yeah. in the movie. Uh, I think they mentioned, oh yeah, like five people died. Yada yada. Who cares? Um. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I like um, I like the characters. I like how the sort of resentment that comes from these ghosts appearing mm. is not born... Like, you think to The Shining, it's about sort of this anxiety that the Jack Nicholson character is feeling over, I guess, kind of being clipped by his family. He resents his wife and his son. He's yeah. sort of an abusive alcoholic yeah, yeah. in that movie. Yeah. And the ghosts are part of that wrath and abuse that he feels towards his family. It's or about at this... the very least, that's what they're playing So off Yeah, of, exactly. Yeah. The ghosts are kind of feeding off of this this uh, resentful uh, energy he has. So, uh, And, you know, of course, the movie treats the Shelley Duvall character very poorly. Notoriously, yeah. Kubrick didn't treat her that well either. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that kind of element of the patriarchy to something like... Uh, the Shining, and this one is a little bit more about uh, queer and female resentment, which I really appreciated. Uh, it comes from the r- resentment these younger characters have in not being able to be titans of industry, and how uh, and how also their relationships and their romances, which we get to see them talk about and play out because they're all there, yeah. uh, are sort of bearing out this sort of evil energy. All of these uh, relationship resentments are coming out. Uh, all of that stuff is great. Uh, it ends terribly. Oh, no! And not, not in that it ends terribly for the characters. It does. It ends because right. ter- it's a horror movie. But also, it's also just really badly written. Oh, no. Uh, clearly, the filmmakers didn't really know where they wanted this story to go, and it just sort of, like, peters into these weird, symbolic conversations with these suddenly appeared characters, and it actually becomes about uh, the main character's mother and how she's trying to outlove her, uh, outlive her mother's legacy. And it doesn't know how to conclude those things. I like that. So there's like a series of scenes at the end. I love her mother's legacy, which is kind of. Uh, oh, did I say that? You I'm did. A, I think it's. Outlive is what It I just got me say. imagining how nice that would be. To I'm outlove gonna, your mother. I'm going to outlove her legacy. She loved a lot of people. Mm. To hell with her. I'm yeah. going to outlove her legacy. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like the filmmakers didn't really know how, to, how they wanted to wrap up this story. So there's a horror element and also some other ghostly things, and then it's revealed who the Molly Ringwald character actually is. And. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't, none of it fits together. None of it makes any sense. Uh, So it doesn't fall together as a movie. But up until then, I think the filmmaking is really solid. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, it's like this queer lesbian version of The Shining. Mm -hmm. But there's also this mumblecore element where people are just sort of like conversing and it feels really lo-fi in this really effective way. Yeah. is it, is it, is it, uh, they, they tried to popularize this for a while, then they mm. were like making mumblecore movies and they started making like scary mumblecore movies mm. and they called them mumble gore. It was, I think there's maybe one film in the mumble gore movement. I would like one or two. I think, uh, maybe this is another one. Bad things. Yeah. But I dug it. I dug bad things. Uh, I, I wish it had come together a lot better. Yeah. But I think the filmmaking <laughs> was strong enough and I liked the characters st- oh, well enough that, uh, that I think it's yeah worth a glance. Right. One of the one of the more interesting things on Shutter, better than the one I reviewed yeah. last week. Someone's just 
got a motorcycle right outside my window. Yeah, Very they're, weird. they're, they're okay. taking off, making some just, noise out there. It just feels like it's right there, even though we're on the second floor. Bizarre. Anyway, um, okay. Well, hmm. so so uh, uh, bummer of an ending, but still pretty good. Yeah, let, let down of an ending. Okay. I, I don't want to say... Like, the horror elements weren't the, the upsetting part. It's mm-hmm. just the bad writing and the, the lack of a... a clever denouement that's the problem okay well i guess the thing i'm trying to make sure i'm I'm getting at is overall does is the ending so bad that it makes the journey not worth it no the journey is the interesting part okay that's it it doesn't undo the movie but it it, because we've seen that for some for some yeah it it would upset some people who are waiting for like some to solidify at the end how what's where is this plot going oh wait it's I, I don't know where it went. It just it, sort of ran into this maze and stayed there. There are some who argue that uh, really the ending is the most important part of the movie because it's what you take with you mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and I don't think that's strictly true, but... I, I think if you're telling a very specific kind of story, maybe. Yeah. But uh, film isn't just about the story. In fact, story mm-hmm. is... I've, I've said this before. Story is well, not hugely important. An ending doesn't to have movie. to be about story. An mm-hmm. ending can be about character. An ending can be about mood. An ending can be about theme. It just got to be like that that last shot or that last mm-hmm. scene just makes you go, oh, that was good. Yeah. They, they had a good capper there and it ended with a funny joke or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Hari Neff is great as mm-hmm. sort of the, the put upon girlfriends because she's the only one who has not given any information. Like the main character has been che- has cheated on her in the past with this, uh, maybe cheating on her again now. Uh and then there's all these ghostly things, and everybody's keeping things from her. Mm. And she is just increasingly terror. Like all, she's the audience avatar, I think, in terms okay. of just the terror, because she doesn't know anything that's going on, and is just completely frustrated and terrified through all of this. And uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> not bad things happen to all these well, characters because it's, it's called bad yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's not, not incredibly uplifting, but. Okay. Uh, she gives a great performance. All right, we got one more movie left to review, uh, and it is a comedy, a mm. comedy film uh, from the director of one of the best comedies of the decade, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> uh, which is just a delight. That film, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I, I think I, I didn't like regular. Jamie Dornan until I saw him in that movie. Oh, he's, and, oh, and he's one of those, right? He's wonderful in that movie. Like you keep seeing like this actor, and everyone keeps thinking they're going to be a big deal, and then you don't get it, you don't get it, and then there's one role where they get to play against that type, mm. and now you do. Yeah, it's yeah. a treat. Although I will say I, I like Jamie Dornan because you mostly watch him from movies mm. on TV in the fall. He was really, really oh, okay. creepy. He was great in that show. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a film called Strays. Uh, it is a film. Bear with me here. About strays. It's about it's about doggies. Um, it's about it's, dogs. Uh, uh, trained dogs with uh, animated mouths. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some CGI uh, stand-ins for the dogs, but mostly mm-hmm. it's real dogs, and I appreciate that. Yeah, in uh, uh, a it's... very Beverly Hills Chihuahua. The Owen Wilson Marmaduke kind of mold. Yeah, the uh, the story is just the Incredible Journey. Uh, it's sort of yeah. like a dark version of the Incredible Journey. But the uh, thesis of the filmmakers was to make this as crass as humanly possible or right. dogly possible. Yeah, we've all seen uh, crass, gross out comedies, mm. uh, and they were like, "Why don't we do one with dogs?" And the answer is because that's an incredibly elaborate filmmaking process, and it's <laughs> arguably not worth it. You have to uh, devote a lot of time and energy to make this 
dumb crass comedy. Uh, but by God, they tried. Uh, it stars uh, Will Ferrell as our protagonist. He's a border terrier, and he look, he's got this very Benji esque quality. He's, he's a sh- <laughs> literal shaggy dog. Yeah, he's a little little, little scrappy dog. Uh, we have uh, Jamie Fox as the voice of a Boston terrier who's a stray, mm. and he's very tough and has been living on his own for a long time. He doesn't should... like humans. Uh, and then they should have got someone from Boston. We have Isla Fisher uh, as an Australian Shepherd. It's nice to see us, uh, Isla Fisher, actually get to use her real accent for a change. Uh, and uh, she's she's a nice dog. She's cool. And then there's uh, Randall Park plays a Great Dane uh, who used to be a police dog and has. I thought it was an Irish Wolfhound. Uh, oh, it's I not, think he's yeah. got the floppy ears. Not a Great Dane. He's a big a, dog a, with big, gangly big paws. Big dog. Yeah, yeah. Some, somewhat Marmadukey. Uh, and um, yeah, and he's he used to be a police dog. But he's got nerves, and he now wears a cone over his head, and he doesn't really intimidate anybody, even though he's gigantic. Uh, Will Ferrell's uh, dog, Reggie, uh, loves his owner very, very much, which is a shame because his owner hates him. His owner is a horrible person, uh, and yeah. Played by Will Forte. And... uh, Part, part of the, the messaging of this film is that dogs mm. are beings of love. Yes. They exist to love you as a human. Yeah. And so that's Will Ferrell's, that's Reggie the dog. It's mm. like... I, this, Even if you're an imperfect the, person, the owner I will is, love you unconditionally. The owner is, is cruel and shallow and abuses the dog and doesn't feed him enough and doesn't let him out yeah. to pee. There's no shot of him hitting the dog. Thank God. But, but, uh, but golly, he wants to. He hates the dog, and the dog and tries to... He tries bl- to abandon the dog. He blames the dog times. for destroying his life, his relationship, uh, losing him his house, everything, and so he does a thing, and it's really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. And and I, I want to make it clear here: this character is supposed to have no redeeming value whatsoever, mm-hmm. and that's really important to the plot for reasons I'll explain in a second. Uh, he drives the dog out of town, throws his doll- ball into the woods, and then he drives off before the dog can get back. And the dog keeps showing back up every <laughs> single time. And finally, he drives three hours away mm. to a big fucking city, and there he abandons the dog, and then he drives away. And Reggie realizes that he doesn't know how to get back anymore. Mm. And he befriends these other dogs, and he realizes that the life of a stray has its advantages. You have a lot of freedom. You get a lot yeah. of, like, table scraps and things. They, Okay. You know. Okay, what's really going on here is you, you poop a lot, and there's a lot of talking of their poop. Yes. And you and you hump a lot, and there's a lot of talking about how dogs hump things a lot. Uh, and pee. And pee. Let's, let's be fair here. Okay, I'm we, just we, trying to get to the point. We've covered to, 80% of the movie. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to get to the, to the big plot point. So the whole thing is, he realizes that he finally has friends, people who actually like him. His human never liked him. And so his new scheme is to go back to that human, not to be his dog, but to bite his dick off. Specifically, yeah. And the other dogs decide to join him on this quest. It's going to be Homeward Bound, the incredible journey to bite my previous owner's dick off. Yeah. Uh, and... And the I, nature of friendship therein. I, well, because on one hand, this is obviously a very thin skeleton on which to lay poop jokes and sex jokes and mm-hmm. all kinds of uh, very intentionally a lot, offensive a of, humor. A lot of dog wieners. Yeah, like it's it's a gross out movie. Mm-hmm. They're trying to gross you out. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident that at some point in this movie, because they cast a pretty wide net... Uh, they're going to find something that grosses you out. Like, genuinely... Not like, oh, you guys, but actually, like... 
like no don't <laughs> don't do that and they did for me there's a scene in the middle mm. uh which involves uh i i won't give it away but it involves magic mushrooms and it went to a very dark place <laughs> it went to a very dark right. place that I, honestly uh, i thought i thought the movie had trouble recovering from I, I had to duck out and use the bathroom partway through this movie uh, yeah. and it was right at a scene in, in a pound oh yeah uh which involved a lot of poop and i yeah. think i'm a lot of poop. i think i'm glad i missed that there was a lot <laughs> of poop like that three minutes of film there was quite a bit um, but uh, but they are cognizant that it does need to be a film. Mm. It does need to have a narrative with a theme, and their attempt is to take the approach that dogs have, which is we love our owners kind of unconditionally, and how in in the human world that would not be considered a healthy relationship. Yeah, and not every human is actually worthy of that, and so they're trying to say something about toxic relationships. I think it's not a very nuanced conversation about that. Mm. Uh, and they, they try to do it, but then they have to backtrack on it just for the purposes of the plot. And then it ultimately just feels like just, it's like you made like a big bowl of like $1 store brand pasta. And then you heat it up the cheapest possible pasta sauce but then you put like some parsley flakes on top of it and now it seems nice like that's what the theme feels like to me is that they were just trying to like just trying to like yeah no we thought about it um that being said i was surprised at how effective the joke ratio was Mm. Like I, I laughed. I didn't laugh at every joke. I maybe even didn't laugh at half the jokes. But when I laughed, I laughed pretty hard. And there are some definitely very funny bits in this yeah. movie that I will remember. And I think that's important. Mm. I think that that you know, a comedy doesn't it doesn't have to be airplane. Not every single joke has to work. It would be nice if it did. But when you make this many jokes, and I laugh as much as I did. I have to kind of just throw up my hands and go, eh, it mostly works. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I laughed a lot. I, I appreciate that they tried to make it into a, a bit of a real movie yeah. with uh, actual themes. I, I, I like the characters, the dog characters a little bit. I think Jamie Foxx and Will Ferrell played off of each other very well. Um, yeah. I know in movies like this, they probably recorded separately. Like, they, they're not chance, in the yeah. recording booth together. So, uh, you know, that's... Uh, a triumph of editing. Uh, the special mm. effects on the the dog doggy mouths are pretty nice. Yeah, you couldn't make a movie like this with cats. No, in fact, they actually they never show a cat talking in this movie. No, we see a bird talking and we see some cats, but the cats never talk, which I thought was kind of weird. Like you kind of mm. missed an opportunity. Are you missing an opportunity for a joke? Are you setting this up for an all cat sequel or something? I don't know. Maybe cats don't speak in this universe. Maybe they just don't speak to dogs. Maybe they're just <laughs> so. assholes, which is possible. Which is true. Yes. <laughs> Um, Look, I, I I love cats. I've lived with cats. Same. Yeah, yeah, they're assholes. They they can they they, they, they can be Gen schmooze. generally speaking. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a great joke in the middle here where they're because every once in a while they they play with like the formula of like dog movies. And there's one joke where they run into a dog who's a very specific type of dog. He's a narrator dog. <laughs> yes, that and is it's, a cute. It's like the dog from like a dog's purpose where it's just like, yes, I was here to guide my family through all these hard times. And the other dogs are like, nobody's listening to you, narrator dog. <laughs> Nobody likes you. And there's a punchline to that joke, which I will not ruin, which is maybe my favorite joke in the movie. And it was very, <laughs> very funny and very earned. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that some thought went into that. A, and, a, a, and a cute... I, I always appreciate in, like, anthropomorphic animal entertainment yeah when they behave like animals yeah they're not just humans with yeah. animal faces they yeah, actually yeah. have when they when they, when they do animal stuff yeah. like um there's a bit where they have to like all go to sleep and they yeah. have to like all turn, T- turn around, around multiple a couple times. times or there's a, a fireworks display what does that look like to a dog it's like combat to them like yeah they're, they're definitely afraid of the fireworks it turns into platoon <laughs> yeah for it's like a no no we're gonna die we're gonna we gotta get away from the and everybody's That's like looking up and ooing and awing at the fireworks it's like in character yeah. it's genuinely funny yeah, so like whenever yeah, it's when doing you, that stuff it's quite funny yeah so th- that they had real dogs i think helped i think if they did yeah. puppets or cgi it wouldn't have played quite as well no i agree um, yeah, it's not it's not as good as Barb and Star. It's not as inspired. It's not as strange. Mm. Um, it's got kind of... It reminds me a little bit of Sausage Party, which had more heavy themes that it actually explored better. Mm. But the premise of the movie, the reason the movie exists is this is a formula. This is a movie type that we associate mm. with family-friendly stuff. And now it's going to be the most profane thing you've ever seen. Right. Uh, and that's a joke. But that's a joke like well, having but, a having a woolly mammoth vacuum cleaner in the Flintstones is a joke. Mm. It's just background. It's not actually a plot. It's not it's, actually a story. It's not actually... And, and it needs to be know. done well. Yeah. You know, profanity for the sake of it uh, it isn't always going to play. And putting yeah. a profanity in a child-friendly atmosphere isn't always going to play. Yeah. Uh, it actually has to function as a comedy. And that's what you can say for Strays, that yeah. it actually does function as a comedy, comedy film. Yeah. Uh, it endeavors to be incredibly filthy, but it and it does endeavor to sort of disgust you, but it isn't cynical. That's it's, true. It's not. Yeah. It, it's it's not trying to um, tell, like be nihilistic about anything or tell yeah. you about sort of the hopelessness of the world. It doesn't feel like it's, the people involved didn't care. Yeah, you know? it's it, yeah. it's crassness made by people who understand how crassness needs to be wielded. Yeah, not just being crass in order to offend you, and that's kind of it. Yeah, um, to make bad and there's, results there's, perhaps, yeah, but mostly funny and not that that's necessarily a bad thing something can mm-hmm. be just sort of pointedly filthy mm-hmm. and still be a you know contain a certain kind of integrity mm. to repel an audience does take some skill or some thought to it um mm. or at least some temerity which i admire i think temerity is a better word yeah <laughs> it's a good word in general but uh, st- but strays isn't that strays is yeah. something that actually has a little bit of, of thought and heart to it and is made by people who care. You can tell when dumb humor is written by smart people. That's the and, thing. And, yeah, that's because um, that's that's all the difference in the world, really. And I feel like strays. Yeah. yeah, strays is no classic, but you can tell it was made by smart people. Uh, well, anyway, that is it for critically acclaimed. Not as many movies as usual. We got kind of wrapped up in the possibility that we were going to have this big tropical storm and we didn't get as much done this weekend, so sorry. Uh, but we'll be back next weekend with reviews of Gran Turismo and stuff. First, we got to do our movie review roundup. We uh, review our movies on a scale of C- to C+, where a C is average. You know, some good, some bad. Eh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, C- minus is below average. Those are movies we don't recommend for one reason or another, regardless of how passionate we are about it. And C+, plus is a movie we do recommend. That is above average. We think that's pretty good, if not damn great. Uh, on that note, Whitney, where do you mm. put strays? Uh, it's a C. It's, yeah. But d- don't go out of your way, but you mm. won't hate it. Yeah. Um, and if you have a low tolerance for, like, poop jokes, then... Mm. or, or oh, yeah. you genital trauma then maybe don't see the movie uh there's one of my criteria for a c is uh sometimes that it's uh, more for one audience than another 
uh-huh. uh, and not necessarily so damn good it's going to ingratiate someone to a genre or a type of movie that they didn't already like. Uh, and I think that strays in a nutshell. I think if you're in the market for a raunchy dog movie, yeah, well, this is it. Like, this, this is the is, raunchy dog movie is, you've been waiting and for. It's, and it's pretty funny, but I don't think it really goes anywhere above and beyond that. Mm. Uh, so I, I liked it fine, but I, yeah, I think a high C is probably the, the most comfortable place to put this. Then uh, uh, bad things. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a high C okay. uh, if, if it had ended well it would be a c plus but there's a, a lot worth seeing here I, I loved all of the characters yeah. uh i loved the acting and i loved the filmmaking i loved the way that the hotel was presented as this weird eerie presence yeah. um i loved all of the hate and the resentment i loved the sort of reworking of the shining into this modern queer milieu that was a lot more fascinating than uh, what kubrick did back in 1980 which we've become yeah. used to by now yeah uh, yeah I, it, it just it needed, needed another draft. Somebody yeah. needed to rewrite that ending, and it would have been great. All right. Uh, Sheen Mask Rider, I'm going to give it a big C+. Plus. Um, I think this is a, I think it's an excellent... Uh, I think it's an excellent example of a movie that takes something that people may often disregard, especially in, in America, a particular genre, uh, and then reminds you that it actually is cool. Like, there's actually, like, exciting ideas in it, and a lot of visual ingenuity, and it really highlights all those elements that make a thing really, really great, uh, and finds a way to transform that into a contained film uh, that actually works as a movie, but still maintains all of the strangeness, all of the excitement, and all of uh, the verve. So it's a big old C+. Uh, and then, uh, lastly, Blue Beetle. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's a C-. minus. Okay. You can skip this one. It is just... Mm. Kind of, kind of up the middle, not, not doing too, not doing enough interesting mm-hmm. to make it stand apart from the scads and scads of movies that we've had in the last fifteen years. Well, again, you and I have a different perspective yeah. on that. Uh, I, I give it a C plus. It's not the highest C plus I've ever given or anything, but uh, I don't mind when a superhero movie it has a formula, uh, as long as when it is approaching that formula, it is doing so with uh, personality and character. It is actually using that as a framework for something. Uh, really uh, engaging and I think Blue Beetle does a really really great job of it I like the characters I'd like to hang out with them more and that's something that I think is really really satisfying in genre cinema so uh, yeah wonderful cast the elements are mostly really good it it is formulaic but I really don't think that's as much of a problem as you do Uh, so I'm going to give it a C plus that is it for Critically Acclaimed thank you everybody for listening thank you to all of our patrons without you the show would not exist if you want to join uh, even for one dollar you get to listen to the show ad free but at other tiers you get a bunch of bonus podcasts we get commentary tracks our Star Trek podcast uh, our Oscars podcast which we're working very diligently on right now hopefully have a new episode up this next week Uh, uh, you can get our episodes thank God it's Friday a week early uh, there's a lot we hope you're enjoying it and thank you to everybody who can sign up if you can't sign up please leave us a review wherever you find us that would be really really awesome mm-hmm. uh, and uh, bing. and if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail Whitney what's our P.O. Box yeah, send us a physical letter send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network P.O. Box 641565 Los Angeles, California 90064 yeah uh, and uh, we're on we're on the social medias. We're at Critic Acclaim on Twitter, and I'm at William Bibiani on Twitter, Blue Sky on Instagram. 
done. Um, that witness eyeball done all of those things as well. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Goodbye. Don't forget everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>